The nature of culture is an intellectual conversation captured in 17 chapters, verbalized in publication 228 and framed in ISBN 9781639726698 and podcast 116. The nature of culture essentially is all about a way of life and is predicated on the suffix chur. Simply put, when the suffix chur is added at the end of the word cult or na, these particular words become a noun. The stark reality is the suffix chur was imported to the English language in the 16th century. The suffix chur originated in Latin and traveled to the English language via French. In fact, the suffix chur and sure share the same origin. The function of the suffix chur is to form a noun, that is, normalize whichever word it may be compounded with. All things being equal, the word nature is borrowed from the old French nature and is derived from the Latin word nurture or essential qualities in its disposition and in ancient times literally meant birth. In ancient philosophy, nurture is mostly used as the Latin translation of the Greek word physis which originally related to the intrinsic characteristic that plants, animals, and other features of the world develop of their own record. The more that I engage and navigate my thought process, I am enlightened at the fact that this environment has created space to ask the pertinent question, is the genesis of culture and nature predicated on the theory borrowing? In attempt to answer this question, I have established a framework for this conversation so as not to conflate this issue. Metaphorically, I have employed my macro lens to get a close-up view of the acronym definition of cul and the suffix chur and the word nature which is borrowed from the Old French nature and is derived from the Latin word nurture, or essential qualities, innate disposition, and in ancient times, literally meant birth. It appears that the language, nature, and culture, their types, terms, changes of interest in from lexicon borrowing to create other different forms, etc., According to dictionary.com, borrowing and lending of words happens because of cultural contact between two communities that speak different languages. Often, the dominant culture or the culture perceived to have more prestige lends more words than it borrows. So, the process of exchange is usually asymmetrical. Therefore, it has borrowed words for cultural institutions, for example, opera, 
and ballad. It has borrowed words for political concepts, for example, Prestogia, Glasnost, and Apartheid. It often happens that one culture borrows from the language of another culture words or phrases to express technological, social, or cultural innovations. Therefore, simply put, the nature of culture seems to imply language, nature, and culture, plausibly without the suffix chur, there is no nature or culture. According to bustle.com, studies suggest that the English language is one of the happiest languages in the world and is spoken by more than a fourth of the global population. Present-day English is also a major donor language, the leading source of borrowings for many other languages. English has freely appropriated the major parts of its vocabulary from Greek, Latin, French, and dozens of other languages. Cultural appreciation and cultural exchange are vital parts of any culture. In this context, borrowing is not inherently bad. However, it becomes a problem when appreciation becomes an unreasonable amount of importance, especially when exchange is one-sided or when cultures are reduced to a single stereotype. Language and culture are intertwined. A particular language usually points out to a specific group of people. When you interact with another language, it means that you are also interacting with the culture that speaks the language. You cannot understand one's culture without accessing its language directly. Culture influences the language that is spoken within its constraints as a society, such as how certain words are used in support of their culture. It is through language that members of a specific culture communicate with each other and create bonds with each other. Culture plays an important role in shaping the style of communication. Generally, people react to how we speak rather than what we say. The culture in which individuals are socialized influences the way they communicate, and the way individuals communicate can change the culture. According to Hans Henrik Hock and Brian Joseph, I quote, languages and dialects do not exist in a vacuum, end quote. There is always linguistic contact between groups. The contact influences what loan words are integrated into the lexicon and which certain words are chosen over others. Latin is usually the most common source of loan words in these languages, such as in Italian, Spanish, French, etc. And in some cases, the total number of loans may even outnumber inherent terms, although the learned borrowings are less often used in common speech, with the most common vocabulary being of inherited, orally transmitted origin from vulgar Latin. This has led to many cases of etymological doublets in these languages. The studies by Werner Birtz 
1971-1901, Inner Hog 1958, also 1956, and Uriel Wernrich 1963 are regarded as the classical theoretical works on loan influence. An etymological dictionary of any major language contains the dozens of sources for its vocabulary. Many factors influence the amount and rate of borrowing. Relatively close contact over centuries in Europe and other areas resulted in extensive borrowing and reborrowing. The advent of radio and television has introduced another type of language and cultural contact in the spread of linguistics and communicative elements. The globalization of markets for products from around the world has resulted in advertisements which often carry not only foreign names but foreign terms. German Führerknen is an example of a term that was being spread some years ago along with the ads for Volkswagens. The term disappeared from use soon after the ads ceased to appear. Scholars in the field of contact linguistics, sociolinguistics, cultural anthropology, and other areas are documenting the amount, rate, and types of borings and boring processes as they occur. When cultural elements are copied from a minority culture by members of a dominant culture, and these elements are used outside of their original cultural context, sometimes even against the expressly stated wishes of members of the originating culture. The practice is often received negatively. General McRorter, a professor at Columbia University, criticized the concept in 2014, arguing that cultural boring and cross-fertilization is a generally positive thing and is something which is usually done out of admiration and with no intent to harm. The cultures being imitated he also argued that the specific term appropriation, which can mean theft, is misleading when applied to something like culture that's not seen by all as a limited resource. In another space, I have unearthed the fact that cultural appropriation is the adoption of the iconography of another culture and using it for purposes that are all intended by the original culture or even offensive to that culture's mores. Examples include sports teams using Native American tribal names or images or mascots wearing jewelry or fashion with religious symbols such as the war bonnet, medicine wheel or cross without any belief in the religion behind them, and copying iconography from another culture's history such as Polynesian tribal tattoos Chinese characters or Celtic are worn without regard to their original cultural significance. Critics of the practice of cultural appropriation contend that divorcing this iconography from its cultural context or treating it as kittish risk offending people who venerate and wish to preserve their cultural traditions. Since the Middle Ages, non-Salvic rules in Eastern Europe have appropriated the culture of their subjects to gain their trust. The Vikings 
in Kivian Rus imitated the costume, and shaven heads of the Salvic population converted to Orthodox Christianity and rustified the original Scandinavian names. Photo and tourism, they have something in common. The origins are grounded in Greek etymology. For example, from photos, light and graphos, writing, delineation or painting. The word tourism derives from Greek according to other dictionaries is the Greek word for a tool to turn or a lathe, which is itself from ancient Greek tornos, lathe. During the 17th century, the forerunner to the three-piece suit was adapted by the English and French aristocracy from the traditional dress of divers Eastern European and Islamic countries. The juxtaposed frock coat was copied from the long zupans worn in the Polish. Lithuanian Commonwealth, the necktie or cravat was derived from a scarf worn by Croatian mercenaries fighting for Louis XIII and the brightly colored silk waistcoats popularized by Charles II of England were inspired by Turkish, Indian and Persian attire acquired by wealthy English travelers. The culturally significant Hindu festival Holi has imitated and incorporated in fashion globally. For example, pop artist Pharrell Williams and Adidas collaborated in 2018 to create the Holy inspired appeared and shoe line. Hool Holy, the collection was stated to be a trivialization of traditions, concepts, symbols, beliefs of Hinduism, according to Raj Zebd, president of the Universal Society of Hinduism. The collection included many terms which contain leather, a violation of Hindu beliefs. Archbishop Justin Welby of the Anglican Church has claimed that the crucifix is now just a fashion statement and has lost its religious meaning. Crucifixes have been incorporated into Japanese Lolita fashion by non-Christians in a cultural context that is distinct from its original meanings as a Christian religious symbol. During the early 16th century, European men imitated the short regular haircuts and beards or on rediscovered ancient Greek and Roman statues. The curl hair favored by the Regency era dandy bore broomed was also inspired by the classical era. Architecture is a product of the culture. However, the relationship between architecture and culture is one that has been studied for many years. But what's happening now is much more revolutionary. It is no longer a static creation that performs well for a while. The mindset now is to build in a way that adapts to a culture's changing needs. Roman architecture was heavily influenced by the Greeks and the Pantheon is a Roman temple devoted to all gods and developed with Greek architectural. Since ancient times, the Jewish people have been spread across the world in the diaspora. Israeli folk dancing or IFD is unlike most other forms of dancing which are referred to as folk dances. Those dance formed within the local communities are over many years, generations. IFD in great contrast is only about 60 years with new dances constantly being 
choreographed by Yotzim. Also, the style of IFD varies greatly, whereas older folk dances usually follow the regional culture in terms of music and steps. IFD has embraced and incorporated Hebrew, Biblical, Yemenite, Romanian, Latin, and many other influences, both in terms of the content and form of the dances. The music and style have expanded to include Latin, Turkish, Moroccan, hip-hop, jazz, and a host of other genres. Of note, the introduction of spices like pepper to Europe created new ways to preserve and cook foods, but the recipes developed were still uniquely European. Early anthropologists like Margaret Mead saw these differences in the traditions and rituals around food as important parts of a society's culture. While you could introduce new ingredients and other elements into a community, it really was nearly impossible to change the overall diet of the society on a deeper level. The goal of studying food and food culture is to notice this change, take record of the old and embrace the new. The problem though, food culture has begun to change on a major global scale, much faster than ever before, and it is just no longer true that a man's diet is harder to change than his religion. For instance, According to Martha, pizza from Italy, hamburgers from Germany, donuts from Netherlands, kielbasa from Poland, ketchup from China, hot dogs from Austria and Germany, bagels from Poland, apple pie from England, pickles from ancient Mesopotamia, mac and cheese from Italy, meatloaf from Europe, gummy bears from Germany, chocolate bar from England, bacon from England, mayonnaise from France, French fries from Belgium, ice cream cake from China, fried chicken from Africa, chicken fried steak from Germany, meatballs from Italy, mustard from ancient Egyptians and Romans, and peanut butter from Aztec Empire. The history of science in early cultures covers proto-science in ancient history prior to the development of science in the Middle Ages. In prehistoric times, advice and knowledge was passed from generation to generation in an oral tradition. The development of writing enabled knowledge to be stored and communicated across generations with much greater fidelity, combined with the development of agriculture, which allowed for a surplus of food. It became possible for early civilizations to develop and spread more of their time devoted to tasks other than survival, such as the search for knowledge's sake. Even today, astronomical periods identified by Mesopotamian scientists are still widely used in Western calendars, the solar year, the lunar month, and the seventh-day week. Using these data, they develop arithmetical methods to compute the change in length of daylight in the course of the year and to predict the appearances and disappearances of the moon and planets 
and eclipses of the sun and moon. Significant advances in ancient Egypt included astronomy, mathematics, and medicine. In the Hellenistic age, scholars frequently employed the principle developed in earlier Greek thought, the application of mathematics, and deliberate empirical research in their scientific investigations. Thus, clear on broken lines for influence led from ancient Greek and Hellenistic philosophers to medieval Muslim philosophers and scientists to the European Renaissance and Enlightenment to the secular sciences of the modern day. Neither reason nor inquiry began with the ancient Greeks, but the Socratic method did, along with the idea of forms, great advances in geometry, logic, and the natural sciences. The nature of culture constituted an analysis and linguistic conversation which focus attention on culture and nature. What is uniquely interesting, culture and nature are influenced by the suffix chur and how the same comports itself suggests. If there is no chur, there is no nature nor culture. Research has shown that this way of life has certainly influenced all global citizens regardless of our ethnicity or the cultural global space we occupy. Therefore, as an author, cinematographer, media art specialist, licensed cultural practitioner, and publisher, my cognitive skills were certainly activated when I metaphorically applied my macro lens to compose and frame a shot of the words culture and nature. Nature does not stand opposite culture, but nature has become part of culture and vice versa. According to Sears and Cranes, nature is innate and fixed, and culture is a human creation. Today, the nature of culture is no myth, but a way of life which has and will continue to influence the areas of architecture, culture, food, iconography, language, marketing, music, and science to name a few. Overall, the nature of culture is an intellectual conversation captured in 17 chapters, verbalized in publication 228 and framed in ISBN 9781-63972-66981 and podcast 116.